don't know. Did you guys collect anything growing up? Like my wife collected teddy bears, right? Some of you collected coins or, I don't know, stamps or baseball cards. Like it's 1950s or something, right? You know, like, uh, I don't know. I did collect something. I collected knives. I had a very big knife collection. I had daggers and throwing knives and switchblade and butterfly knife and went on and on and on, mainly because I was psycho. Like I was, I was a messed up little kid. It, it fit a pattern in my life, though, that as I grew up, I had an idolization of worldly strength. And that, that got deep down within me. So growing up, of course, we played with toy guns and war, and uh, I watched war movies and cop shows. And uh, as I grew up, I got into a lot of fights at school. Uh, and then fights at home. There was a lot of verbal and physical fighting in our household. So again, it was all about strength and power. So I really kind of grew up loving the, like that macho, tough kind of world, which was really unfortunate because I was a little guy. Like I really was. Like I, uh, I, wow, I was so small. And so what I did is I turned to two things. One, I turned to my mouth. Uh, so I, I would try to project strength that way. But then secondly, I found wrestling. And wrestling was awesome because it was violence by weight class. And when you're a freshman in high school and you're wrestling 98 pounds, okay, a little bit of a late bloomer, you know? But uh, when, then, then like wrestling is gold. And so I love, love that sport. But it was an idolization of worldly strength. And then what happened is at 16 years old, I heard the gospel. Jesus called me to himself, invaded my life. And, but I came with so much baggage. And there was progressive, gradual change. I started to grow throughout college. Uh, then after college, at 23 years old, Shannon and I, uh, we entered ministry. And so I've been doing that for about three decades. But here was the catch, though. Instead of letting Jesus correct and eliminate my idol... I noticed the tendency in my life to just reinterpret my idol, to bring it right along with me into Christian religion. So how can I leverage Christianity for worldly strength and power? And that's a problem in the church throughout the decades, throughout the centuries, really. But what's going on then is I noticed a tendency in myself. It wasn't ditching an idol, but just morphing it into religion. And somewhat that's like an abusive husband, who divorces his wife and gets into a new marriage. The thing is, he just took the abusive husband in himself with him into the new gig and just keeps repeating it. And sometimes we have a tendency to do that with our idols, to just bring them into the church. If we're not careful, we just bring our rotten old self right into Christianity. And, and I don't think I'm alone in this. Like, if you go on social media and look at the toxic, caustic comments from Christians, right? right? And so are we out there as we respond to things projecting biblical meekness, that's humble, tender, godly, holy weakness as we approach the world? Are we out there projecting strength in the name of Jesus? Right, you know, like, uh, and, and so that is a problem. I think this is broader than just me. And I start with that because today we're starting a journey through 2 Corinthians. 
We'll be in this on and off throughout the year. And a major theme, as you see in the subtitle there, a major theme is strength through weakness. And so uh, to catch somebody, listen, if you need, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And what I won't do this morning is spend a ton of time unpacking kind of the history behind it, because I did that already. We, We recently studied 1 Corinthians. This is how you know I'm brilliant. We recently studied 1 Corinthians, and I'm like, I know what's next. 2 Corinthians, boom, right? Brilliant. Okay, but so when on the very first sermon of 1 Corinthians, if you need reminded or if you never saw it, go watch that this week. That'll give you some of the background data so that I don't have to repeat it this morning. But let me give you the Cliffs notes. Remember, they were a dumpster fire. That's right. They were a dumpster fire. The problem is not when the boat is in the water. The problem is when the water is in the boat. And that's what they were experiencing. They were a dumpster fire. So they had this really contentious relationship the church in Corinth did with Paul the apostle. Now, Paul, remember, he planted that church. He loves them very, very much. But they hit a point where after Paul was out of town, some of the in the church there were saying things like, Paul doesn't look that great. And he didn't. They said, Paul is not really that eloquent of a public speaker, a preacher, and he wasn't. And bad stuff keeps happening to Paul. He's not that strong. He's kind of weak, you know? And then also Paul tends to give his ministry away for free. I guess it must not be worth that much. Oh, and also, Paul preaches a gospel of grace. Now, the problem with a gospel of grace is that God appears strong, but we appear weak. Man, I like a gospel of works because then I can work my way and I appear strong. Paul preaches grace. He's weak. And so there were these other itinerant preachers and missionaries that came through that they started to compare Paul to them. And those other missionaries, well, I'll tell you what, they appeared strong. They were pretty impressive. Uh, and, and they're comparing them against Paul, who looks weak. And they're starting to wonder, should we even listen to Paul? Like, is he legit from God? Is he legit an apostle? So this letter we're going to be studying this year, 2 Corinthians, is in part Paul's defense of his ministry, of his apostleship. But what's really interesting is he doesn't defend it like you might expect. Okay, I gave you a little bit of my background. The way I would defend it is, I'm strong too. You know what? I'm stronger than those guys. Paul doesn't go that route. Paul, instead, he doubles down on his weakness. It's kind of crazy. And so it's kind of like when somebody says, dude, you are so dumb. What do you do? You You don't defend your intelligence. You just wait for them to ask you anything. Well, what I know, I'm so dumb. You've done it, right? Right? Okay, so 2 Corinthians is kind of like that, but a lot more godly. Okay? So Paul's just going to double down on his weakness. So the, the whole theme throughout, as I said, is strength through weakness. And to help you catch a glimpse, I'll give you just a smattering of verses from this letter. In chapter 11, Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Is that what you boast about? <laughs> wow. Uh, chapter 12, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
chapter 13, he turns to talking about Jesus. He says, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. So Paul was not only following, but preaching about Jesus. And it turns out Jesus was a suffering savior. Jesus didn't come in strength. He came in weakness, but it was strength through weakness. And Paul's saying, yeah, I'm kind of following him. So if we have a suffering savior, why would we be so surprised when we have a suffering apostle who's following him, right? So it turns out you really have two choices. You have the choice of true weakness through worldly strength. That was my background growing up. Or true strength through worldly weakness. And one of those will be true of your life. Those are the choices. Now, what I just did is just try to set us up as a congregation to study 2 Corinthians throughout the year. Now I want to dive into some of the first verses. We'll do verses 1 through 4, and I'll tack in 8 and 9 of chapter 1. Here we are. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Pause there. So Timothy is with Paul writing this in Ephesus sending it over to Corinth. So he says, to the church that of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Jumping down to verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we are, were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Throughout the letter, and particularly like right in this passage, you sense over and all over, Paul is talking about his weakness, his suffering, his affliction. He's doubling down on his weakness. And he will keep going all throughout the letter. So for example, chapter 11, Paul will give a catalog of all the tough stuff that has hit his life as he started serving Jesus. Here's the bullet points. This is just a list from chapter 11 that I'm reproducing here. Paul says that he was arrested, that five times he was beaten with the 39 lashes, meaning they thought 40 would kill you, so they backed it down one, 39. Then three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, not like weed, okay, but like rocks, it hurts a whole lot more, like right? So he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, adrift at sea, toil, hardship, sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, cold, imprisoned, mocked, and anxiety for all the churches. Time out. Paul, what are you thinking? You are giving ammunition to your opponents. You are giving them the list for them to say, see, Paul's not that great. Paul's a mess. So they're going to compare Paul to these celebrity itinerant preachers that I told you about. And I'll tell you what, those guys, they look good. They had a nice smile. They were really eloquent, and they were well-paid. They were making bank off the ministry. And, and Paul's not doing that. Paul suffers. And so they start to doubt, is he really from God? 
So what Paul's going to do in our passage today in order to defend his apostleship is he's going to make five points. And here they are. He's going to say the marks of his own authenticity is that he suffers for Jesus. He's comforted by Jesus. He comforts others. He depends on Jesus. And then he knows that he will be delivered by Jesus. We're going to bump through those, but what we'll see is that Paul's suffering doesn't doubt, but authenticates his apostleship because that is strength through weakness. That is authentic Christianity, not worldly strength. So let's talk about those things. First, that he suffers for Jesus. Listen, in this life, your suffering is guaranteed. This is a broken world. You're suffering. Take it for granted. It will happen. You really only have two options. Will you put your hope and in God and try to advance his kingdom? If so, you'll suffer and God will comfort you in that suffering. Option number two is that you put your hope in idols and try to be comforted by them. And in that case, in this broken world, you will suffer still. And God will convict you, okay? Either way, you're going to suffer. The only question is, are you going to get the comfort from God or conviction from God because you're, are you going to be seeking God or seeking idols? That's the only difference that is available to us. Now, granted, he is a merciful and compassionate God. And so when we seek after idols and he doesn't comfort, he convicts, then uh, we repent, he relents. That's okay. But God, listen, God has way too much love for you to comfort you as you pursue idolatry. Instead, he's going to convict you in that moment, right? Now, to be honest, though, a lot of times what we mean by suffering is really just frustration that we're not getting the American dream. Or somebody took my parking spot. Lord have mercy, I am suffering today, Jesus, right? That, that's oftentimes what we mean. Uh, and so uh, the scholars point out that uh, this word, uh, uh, suffering, it actually means something very different to Paul. So Paul is in the process of suffering for something worthy. He's suffering for Jesus. He's on mission. We've been talking on mission. He is on mission with Jesus, and therefore he suffers. Now notice something. What that does is that totally decimates the health and wealth, prosperity, gospel, garbage. Because here we have the example of Paul who's totally pursuing Jesus and therefore suffers. That's reality. Now listen, you are going to suffer either way in this life. Why not suffer for Jesus? Why not give your life for something that lasts, for something that matters? Why not be on mission with Jesus like Paul was? So all of us suffer. Paul is going to suffer for Jesus. And then secondly, you see, Paul is comforted by Jesus. In fact, if you notice in the passage, he called him the God of all comfort, which is interesting because what that means is that is God's inherent identity, not just what he does. It innately flows from within God. He loves to comfort his children. We don't have to like twist God's arm. He loves to comfort his children. So this is not some distant, uninvolved, 
dispassionate God. The God of a doctrine on a dusty page. No, no, no. This is a God who actively comforts his children when they are in pain. Of course, assuming they're not there from pursuing idolatry. But they're on mission with him. So, he comforts them. Now, what does Paul mean then by the word comfort? Scholars tell us that this word has gone soft in modern English. Okay? So, by comfort, what we usually mean today is a sense of emotional relief or a sense of well-being. Uh, it, it means kind of physical ease or freedom from anxiety or pain. We want comfort. And what that really resonates with is comfortable Christianity. If you've heard that term, that, we don't mean that in a good way, right? That's comfortable Christianity right there, right? Uh, That's not what the word means. Uh, This word comfort actually has connections to its Latin root, which is fortis. Do you hear the word fort in there? Fortification, fortify. This is to put strength in, to put courage in, to put bravery in. That's what the word means. Uh, Similar, you've heard the word encourage. The word encourage literally means to put courage in. To encourage, you're going to put spine in somebody that's having a really tough time. That's what comfort means when we talk about the God of all comfort. And so, by the way, this is really different from the voodoo witchcraft of the power of positive thinking. Sorry to step on some toes, but, but it's just not as much a biblical principle. What we see biblically is boldly acknowledging that suffering sucks. That's a negative thought. Yeah. It's really hard. We acknowledge it. And then in the midst of it, we turn to the God of all comfort who puts strength and fortification and courage within us to carry on. That's what comfort means. So what's that look like? Well, you got to actively seek it. You got to turn to the God of all comfort to receive comfort from him. That might be prayer. Man, in your prayer, let your prayer be real and raw and honest. Tell God what's hard and ask him to comfort you. Be real with God. Uh, it also means turning to his word where you meditate on scriptures that minister to your soul like water in a parched land. You want to hear the voice of your God speaking into your life, comforting you, putting courage in you during the hard times. It also means fellowship. So sometimes the comfort of God is mediated through his people, the body of Christ surrounding you. And you see that in verse 11. I'll jump ahead to it. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul's in hardship and affliction, and he's asking the body to pray for him. Now, notice he also listed out specifically all the stuff he's going through. So this is not an unspoken people. Want to know what Pastor Rick thinks of unspoken? All right? Listen, because the point of prayer is that the community of Christ surrounds you, knows what's going on in your life, lifts you up specifically for what you're struggling with. Paul did that, and he's saying you need comfort from God, which is mediated by the people around you. You need people praying for you specifically. So he experiences comfort from the God of all comfort. Now, the third bullet, which isn't in front of you right now, but if you remember, uh, the, 
part of Paul's uh, authenticity as a Christian, as an apostle, was that he was not a dead end for God's comfort. He was a through street for God's comfort. So here's a question. What if, what if God's comfort to you is not meant just for you? What if God's comfort to you is not meant just for you? Let's continue in verse 3. I'll reread this part. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Amen? Amen. Look at the next two words. So that... So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So it's on the previous slide, but I tried to emphasize it for you. Why does God comfort us? So that we may be through streets for comfort, not dead ends of God's comfort. Which means when you're going through hard stuff in life, as all of you are, okay, you don't just want to ask the question, how can I make it stop? It's a human question. And yes, bullet point before this was seek comfort from God. Yeah, I want you to be comforted. Oh, that's okay. But you also ought to ask the question, how can I leverage this season of pain in my life to extend the kingdom of God, to, to minister to and comfort others? What I'm suggesting to you is that you are not the center of the universe. Write that down. Right? Like, God and his kingdom are at the center of the universe. So what if the goal of God's allowing suffering in your life and God's comfort to you, what if the goal of that is the revealing of the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom? And I thought it was all about me. No, not so much, right? Now, granted, you got to heal some first. But what if you allow God to redeem that season of pain in your life? Because he is the God of resurrection who brings life out of death. He brings beauty out of ashes, and he can bring ministry out of your pain. So how can God use my suffering to minister to others? And that happens all the time at Redemption Chapel. We have a lot of addicts in recovery in our congregation and we love them. I'll tell you what, one of the things they really need and benefit from is they get together with other recovering addicts who have been there, done that, and help them as they take steps. Or or what about, we have a lot of interracial couples in our congregation and we love them. I'll tell you what, they get sometimes get crap from the world. And one of the things that helps them is to get together with other interracial couples and find out, man, how did they handle that? 
We have a lot of families doing foster and adoption, and sometimes that's interracial. And again, to get together with other families who have walked that road, there's such, such water to a part soul that comes there. Like, I mean, divorce care, same thing, uh, on and on, right? Your, listen, your ministry often grows out of your area of greatest struggle or greatest suffering. That's God bringing redemption to that. And so that you can wrap your heart around what that might feel like, I want you to watch this. That little guy right there is two-year-old K.J. Dyer from Oklahoma. You better hurry and go get him. You're watching him take his first steps on his prosthetic leg at Scott Savalich Prosthetics in Oklahoma City. You ready to race? What K.J. and his parents didn't know is that they wouldn't be taking this new journey alone. Uh, there you go. Come on. Down at the other end of the hallway, rooting K.J. on, para-Olympian Blake Leeper who took time out of his own prosthetic fitting session to cheer KJ on. I got my legs on now. Just watch the connection. I'm ready. I'm ready for you. Leaper showing little KJ his legs are the same. You're doing great. You're doing awesome. Look at him. Encouraging KJ every step of the way. My head looks like Jared. At home just weeks later, KJ is getting around like an energetic two-year-old. You're going so fast. KJ and his mom checking in with us today. We had the opportunity to meet Blake Lieber, and it was just an amazing experience for um, us as parents and for KJ getting to see somebody to inspire him. Lieber sending KJ this message. Keep fighting, buddy, and next time I see you, we're going to race, so you better be ready. (laughs) Love that. You got to know, Lieber went through some crap, right? Is he done? He, he's, uh, I, I don't know if he was born that way congenitally or a double amputee or what, but like he, that was hard. And, and now he's allowing God, I, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but, but God's using him whether he likes it or not, but redeeming that pain so that he can minister to this two-year-old little boy who's trying to figure out life on a prosthetic. That's so cool. And, and in fact, uh, when ABC did this, they cut out one of my favorite parts. Watch, watch this part. Ready? And what if that's what God's called you to do, to use your area of pain to come alongside somebody else who's struggling and to say step by step, come on, by step. So John Henry Jollett put it this way. He said, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters, right? And Paul was the real deal. He experienced a lot of suffering himself. And then what he's going to do is leverage that to then minister to the Corinthians. But he doesn't want the Corinthians to be dead ends. He wants them to be through streets as well. So how do you do that? (laughs) Let me just tell you, uh, you don't do that by offering cliches and unwanted advice to somebody suffering. You do that by offering a ministry of presence, being with them, listening to them, making eye contact with them, just loving them. You do that by just meeting some of their needs because if you went through what they're going through, you know some of those needs that surround their life. Hey, I'm going to take care of that for you. Don't worry about it. 
and, and encouragement where you put the fortification, you put the courage in them. Spur them on. Come on. Come on. Step by step, we can do this together. And then if, if you ask them, hey, I, I, would you like some advice? They might say no. They might just need your presence. Stay there. But if they say yeah, then you share what helped you when you were going through what they're going through. You comfort others because listen, God's comfort to you is not just meant for you. Okay? Comfort others. Now, that is not the only purpose to our suffering. Paul pointed out that he said it's also, it caused him to depend upon Jesus. Here's verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You heard somebody say that God will never give you more than you can handle. It's such bullcrap. Look at verse 8. That's not what it says. It says that he was beyond our strength. That was more than he could handle. Like he's thinking, I'm, we're, gonna, we're dead. We can't handle this. Listen, God will give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than he can handle. And that's different. And, and so it causes, it forces us to rely on God who raises the dead. And Alan... Redpath said it this way. God has one great purpose for his people above everything else. It is to destroy in us forever any possible confidence in the flesh. It is to bring us to the place where self-confidence has passed into history and has been exchanged for a confidence in God who raises the dead. It's God's goal in your life. And I'll tell you what, that will never happen in times of ease. That happens in times of difficulty. And so may we learn to depend and rely on God's comfort during those seasons to get us through. All right, the last bullet is this. Be comforted by God because of four words. God will deliver you. God will Deliver you. And Paul knew it. Look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul had great hope and confidence. He first pointed out that God delivered us before, and so future confidence is based on past experience. He'd seen God deliver him over and over, so he knows what God does. This is like David when he faced Goliath. Do you remember when he was going out to the battle? He was like, listen, God delivered me from the lion and the bear. Same God can deliver me from the giant. So, so future confidence is based on past experience, right? And I've experienced that. Life has been hard. My family growing up was hard. Raising a family has been hard. Doing three decades of ministry has come with a lot of pain. And I've seen God deliver and deliver and deliver and deliver. And so I know what he does. And I can trust in him. 
But it's not only what he's done in the past, but it's a looking forward to the future. So Paul says that he thought we were dead. Good news. God raises the dead. That's what he does. That's what he does. So your deliverance is not a question of if, it's a question of when. You will be delivered. Put that one in the bank. It's only a question of if it'll get some temporary deliverance in this broken world or the ultimate deliverance in the life to come. Okay? See, Jesus has purchased resurrection for us as Christians. So if you are in Christ, your resurrection, your deliverance is guaranteed. And by the way, that ultimate future deliverance is the best one. Because any deliverance you receive in this temporary broken world is that. It is temporary. If I get cancer and God delivers me from cancer, you know what's going to happen? Something else is going to get me. Death and taxes, right? It's guaranteed. It's one-to-one. And so we're all terminal. So therefore, our hope is not in this life, but our hope is in the one who raises the dead. That's our hope. And that... um, Reminds me of a story told by Robert Louis Stevenson. He told of a ship that was caught in a terrible, terrible storm. I mean, wind and rain and the water's just running over the deck into the sea and all the passengers and most of the crew are huddled in the hold below just hiding from the elements. Ships being tossed. There were rocks nearby. They were being perhaps forced toward the rocks and it might not only destroy the ship, but everybody on board would die. And so one passenger wanted to know, man, what's going on? Because they can't see. They're in the hold. So he's, he ventures up on deck and struggles against the wind and rain trying to get forward to the pilot house. When he gets there, he sees the pilot lashed to a post because otherwise he'd be swept over, right? just gritting and turning that wheel inch by inch, steering the ship gradually back out to the sea. And and when the pilot saw that man out of the corner of his eye, he looked and smiled. And he smiled. And uh, the passenger went uh, back below and he gave this report to the other passengers that were huddled there. He said, I have seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled all as well. And, and it chokes me up because, listen, Jesus has guaranteed our future. Like, I think if we could see the face of our Lord right now in the midst of our storms, in the midst of our pain, if you could see his face, he'd be smiling. Because he knows he's already been lashed to a post. And he's steering that ship out to sea. And he knows your deliverance is guaranteed. And he's saying, it's going to be okay. I got this. I got this. God will deliver us. So, these are the marks of Paul's authenticity. Could this be the marks of your authenticity? Like, could you suffer for something worthy? For Jesus? Could you be comforted, actively seek out his face and be comforted by Jesus? And then not be a dead end, but could you be a through street so that you comfort others? And then would you learn in that season to depend upon Jesus, on God himself who raises the dead? And then know that you will be delivered by Jesus. He's, 
He's not threatened. He's smiling. He's got this. And so let me pray for that. Father, we come to you uh, in the midst of our storms and hardship. And we know our tendency is to look toward our own comfort. And we need it. Father, we need you to comfort us. That's a great thing and something you've purchased for us. And we, we rejoice in our ultimate deliverance. And then, Father God, would you help us to help others? That our area of pain becomes an area of comfort to others so we could come alongside them and say, step by step by step, come on. And you would use us to bless the hurting around us from an area that used to be of great pain to us. Would you take us there, I pray in Christ's name.